Hey, everyone. I want to welcome you to a very, very special episode of the Wonder of Parenting podcast. My name is Tim Wright. I'm here with Dr. Michael Gurian. And Michael, I don't know if you can see up at the top the title for this particular podcast, but it's number 200 Mm. today, Mm. 200 podcasts we've done. Uh, That's a lot of talking together. And I thought, (laughs) what can we do that's really, really special? And I thought, wouldn't it be great if we could find a New York Times bestselling author to join us on this show? And I thought... My goodness, we've already got one. We've we've got the best of the best. Why would we need anybody else? And so today we are celebrating 200 uh, podcasts, and uh, we're so glad uh, for all the people who join us. Uh, we're here only because you folks listen, and we really appreciate that and all your participation. So, Michael, congratulations, 200 episodes. Well, thank you, and congratulations to you. Uh, we razz each other and have fun with it, um, but I got to say, I'm very humbled by Tim r- running this. You make yep. it happen, and it it's really got your imprint on it, and, and I appreciate you driving it. So yep. I hope everyone yep. out there is doing a little applause for Tim. <laughs> well, it's been fun, and of course, for those of you who are joining us and you've only been with us a few weeks or months, we've got, that means we have 199 episodes available for you, free, evergreen, always there. And uh, that's, I think, one of the great gifts of this particular podcast is that they never really run out of style because the information that Michael gives is brain-based, it's nature-based, it's nurture-based, and that means it's always relevant. What changes over 200 podcasts is we get more information that just adds to the stuff that we already have. And of course, we have great questions from so many of you. We've got a really important one today that we're going to tackle. But first, we want to say a special thanks to Dr. Greg Jantz. He has been with us almost since the beginning. And uh, we appreciate that. The the Center of Place of Hope, they offer uh, some really great care to people who are in crisis, people who are struggling. And on top of that, uh, Greg has written a number of really helpful books. His latest one is on an anxiety, and uh, we can't recommend it enough. Really good stuff. If you go to wonderofparenting.com, wonderofparenting.com, you're going to find a link to the Center of Place of Hope and all of those resources. And of course, you'll find a link to the resources that Michael and I have created, many of Michael's books, the rites of passage that we've created together, and a place for you to submit your questions if you would like to do that. Today, our question comes from Facebook. I pulled this off of our Facebook page, which I do from time to time. Uh, We've got over probably close to 1,500 of you now who are uh, actively involved on that page, sharing questions, sharing advice. And if you go to Facebook and just do a quick search of Wonder Parenting and hit join, I'll let you in as soon as I get the, uh, the notification. But this is an interesting question because Michael talks quite a bit about the role that hormones play in the lives of boys and girls, specifically testosterone, and then estrogen and uh, other oxytocin. things for girls. Oxytocin, that was yep. the one. Yep. And um, so this has to do with kids who are younger and how do, how, if at all, do those hormones play a role in their lives? And, and this comes up, uh, you know, young parents ask me this once in a while. Okay, my three-year-old is really out of control. Is that too much testosterone? And so I'm really excited to hear what Michael has to say about the role of hormones in our smaller children. And so this is the question. <clears throat> Do kids get hormone fluctuation, fluctuations even at a young age, pre-puberty? My son is six and a half, and lately he seemed more emotional, meaning he's crying more than usual. Sometimes something has set him off, 
so he's frustrated or just doesn't get his way. So he will get emotional or cry. But a couple days ago, he was crying, and I asked him why, and he said, I just feel like crying. I gave him many chances to talk to me about it, even the next day, and he insisted nothing was wrong, not feeling sick, not hurt, nothing bothering him. Granted, he might be keeping something to himself, as he sometimes does. But it got me wondering if hormones fluctuating might be a potential cause or not. All right, this is a really great question. Uh, I can see that there might be some very interesting ways to go. So, Michael, initial thoughts. Yes, yes, it is. It's a great question. Uh, yeah, so we think of the the major times that hormones are flowing and shooting through us. You know, the major times are while we're in the womb. Uh, it's all the hormone. It's the hormonology that sets the male brain. The female brain also connects with all the, our growth and all of that. So um, that's a really big time. And then, of course, the other really big time is adolescence starting, you know, around nine, let's say eight, nine um, pre-puberty. And so we all know about that. So sometimes people think, well, you know, maybe the hormones aren't flowing at the other times, but they are. But they're just not flowing like they're going to, not like they did in the womb and not like they're going to in adolescence. But they are flowing and um, they can they can be operative. And if people want to look up an interesting thing, look up uh, Adrenarch. So A-D-R-E-N-A-R-C-H-E. Um, it's like Menarch, right? Like the coming of menses, but it's the male side of that. And and so between six and eight, for instance, is a time when there can be some shots of hormones. And it's this period. And huh. what, what it's kind of setting up obviously the nine to 10 to 11, when we're going to go into pre-puberty or some kids are hitting early puberty by then. And, um, and girls are getting some too, right? So they're getting from six to eight, they're getting some shots of the stuff moving through the system, getting ready for them to pre-puberty and then puberty and menstruate. So, um, so yes, it, 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 it could be hormones. It could be. Um, so I'm going to say that, that at the same time, this could be a guy who has larger tear glands than other boys do. I think I've talked in previous podcasts about how boys and men have smaller tear glands than women mm-hmm. do girls and women. And we have, um, uh, wider tear ducts. So generally, you know, when we, when we cry, um, we, we, don't cry as much. We don't cry as many tears. They don't drop down our face as much as girls do. Um, now at six years old, there is more, there really is more um, sort of parity in crying, you know? So, mm-hmm. so really the big differences don't start showing up until the hormones hit um, 9, 10, 11, 12, sort of by 12, 13, we're starting to see, oh yeah, the boys tend to be crying less. The girls are crying more. Um, and some of that is tear glands, uh, tear production, etc. This guy though, you know, could not only just normal crying for a six-year-old because six-year-old boys cry, everyone can cry, but he could, you know, this could be how he's processing. And he may be one of those kind of unusual boys who who is going to do that later too. He's just going to process more with tears because of course that's what tears are, right? We, we often judge tears like, oh, you shouldn't cry. They're bad, but they're right. not. Yeah, they just right. are a way of the brain is processing <laughs> and it's going through some sort of a trauma and it can process it by talking or and or it can cry and or it can hit its fist on a table and or right. There's a lot of ways to process this pain that it's having and um, and crying is one of them. So he could be one of those boys who's going to be a good crier um, 
Uh, so it could be hormones. He could be a good crier. Then the last thing I would say, at least at this point, is trauma too. You know, if if we're seeing um, if we're seeing this guy getting really emotional, and this has kind of happened in the last week, two weeks, month, whatever it is. Um, yes, these other two factors could be involved, but there also could have been some trauma. He could have been bullied. He could maybe something's going on with the parents. Maybe something's going on with a sibling. Maybe his best friend is not his best friend anymore. So, so it could also be that there is something going on in the trauma or at least discomfort category in his relationships that the parents would want to look at. And if it's trauma, then got to get on that. If it's just discomfort of relationships, we talk him through it. And then, you know, a month from now, it's better. Um, So I wouldn't, I would say that crying is a good way to process, but if it seems unusual and it's happening over the last month or so a lot, I, you know, it's worth looking at trauma to see if something's happened to him. Right. And so, as we always say, we're not diagnosing, right? We're just taking a, a brief uh, synopsis of what we've been given. And then based on that, trying to give some observations of what things could be. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast is sponsored by Skylight Frame. Mother's Day is almost here. What are you getting her? Something that shows you care. Something that makes her feel loved. Something that won't stress you out. Something like the Skylight Frame. The Skylight Frame is the perfect gift. It's a touchscreen photo frame your whole family can upload photos to from wherever they are in the world. It's a way to share with her all the moments that matter. It sets up in seconds. You can even make sure that it's already loaded with photos when your mom opens her Mother's Day gift. And her Skylight Frame can hold thousands of the treasured photos you share. It's an easy, heartfelt way for mom to stay connected with those who matter most. It really is the perfect gift. Now, as a special Mother's Day offer for our listeners, get 15% off your purchase of a Skylight Frame when you go to skylightframe.com slash easy. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E dot com slash easy. Get 15% off your Mother's Day purchase now at skylightframe.com slash easy. Uh, when you mentioned trauma, um, could something like this also indicate perhaps the onset of anxiety or depression yeah sure sure i mean if if some you know those things can get triggered and like a trauma can trigger those genetics and then um uh or a series of discomforts or you know some things going on in the outer world can trigger it and the genes get triggered and so it's possible that uh, it's possible there's anxiety or depression I, in reading this email, you know, this, this post was only like eight sentences. So we're like trying to be detectives, of course. Um, She didn't seem to indicate that, that, you know, anything was deeply wrong. She even says that, but your point about anxiety is a really interesting one. I think they ought to watch it and they ought to see, um, uh, they ought to see if anxiety or depression happens. Uh, mm-hmm. Does he like, okay, how? So social anxiety, does he, does these crying, you know, this maybe unusual crying behavior, is it then accompanied over the next month or two by him really pulling away mm-hmm. from others, you know, because he's having social anxiety? Um, 
you know, then then I think you're insight. Yeah, Tim, they really ought to look at that. And of course, if he isolates, the isolation is one of the best signs of depression. So then you're like, okay, is he totally isolating? Okay, then he could be getting depression. And then in this these areas, we want to get help. Luckily, she uh, helped me in counseling. You know, talk to professionals. Um, luckily, she seems to be indicating he's okay. She yep. just is confused by the crying. And so if that's all it is, then yeah, it wouldn't be anxiety or depression. But I like I like your insight. That's good detective work. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to just go off on a tangent for a moment, because it brings back a memory for me. Uh, as a kid who had some form of separation anxiety or whatever it was, I remember being in first grade, at the first week of school, and trying to cover up crying um, and as I look back on it now, I understand why I was crying. I was having some separation anxiety from home, which was a, a pattern that I had then into adulthood. And what reminded me of this is Steve Young, the great quarterback from the San Francisco 49ers, uh, just recently learned that he has had separation anxiety for most of his life and didn't know what it was. Wow. And uh, he was a high achiever, but would never do an overnight with anybody when he was a kid. And then he had something happen to him before a big game. And uh, he started the path of, of getting some therapy and learned that he had had some anxiety issues, right? So mm -hmm. sometimes these things come up and we don't know what they are. Uh, in this case, you're right. She says nothing seems to be bothering him. And obviously, as you said, if it is, uh, you'll want to start getting some help on that. So um, I, I love this whole thing. You know, he just, uh, he maybe just feels like crying. This could be the way that he wants to process. Uh, what I thought was really interesting, and it gives us a chance to talk a little bit about how boys in particular process things is she even asks him the next day, which is great brain science stuff. Yeah. Do you know what's going on? Because you've said many times, ask a boy how he's feeling. It can take anywhere from what to what for him to figure that out. Yeah, six hours to 24 hours, let's say. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so she's brilliant here going back to him a day later and say, hey, you remember when you were crying yesterday? Have you kind of figured out what that was about? Yeah, and so he processed. So he, he says to right. her, now he is only six and a half. I mean, it, it could right, be that he, right. he still can't quite, <coughs> excuse me, verbalize it. But but it seems like, to me, what it seems like is that he's he processed it. He cried about it or he thought about it or he went and played a game or, you know, whatever happened. Uh, crying included, and then he got it processed so that now, 24 hours later, he doesn't really remember. You know, it's not, it's just not on his radar. And, and so, you know, that's, that's fine. That's great. He processed it and the crying did its job. Uh, so nothing to worry about there. And very smart of her to, to do, like you say, to do good science, come back at it with these guys. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is going to work with a husband too, you know, come back at it a little, little later. Don't expect him to know right away what he's crying about. Right. Um, and, and that's what another thing I could tell parents that I hope is useful is that often when we, especially with boys, it can sometimes work with girls to, you know, while they're crying or five minutes later, what, what, what's upsetting you, it can work with any human being, but it tends to work better with girls than boys. And the reason is what Tim has indicated that, that boys, they, that's not where their brains are. The, their brains are into, in the amygdala, their brains are creating the tears, their, their brains are processing it in this way, but not really moving signaling to the word centers. So if if they five minutes later are going to tell us something about this is why I'm upset, it may be accurate. They may go, I'm upset because I lost at soccer. Okay. You know, that's accurate. That's why they're right. upset. But it may be they say something else. And we 
we believe that, you know, but in fact, that's not accurate. They just, whatever words they could get out to satisfy us, they got out, mm-hmm. but their upset is not connected to their words yet. So the source of their pain has not connected to words yet. And, and so that's why I, I think we really should revisit three hours, six hours, nine hours later, because by then the source of the upset, they can connect to words if there is still upset. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. The the stereotype in our culture is that big boys don't cry. And there's been a lot of pushback on that as of late uh, to say that we're stifling our boys because we're not allowing them to cry. And so I thought, let's, let's talk a little bit about crying yeah, and about boys yeah. in particular, because this is an important topic and you've, you've covered some things already that are important that boys have a tendency to cry a little less because of how their, their eye, their, their tear ducts work and so on and so forth. Um, and I think as, as some of us guys get older, you and I are the same age, we've discovered that crying actually is very, very good. It's healing. It just gets stuff out. How do we help our boys as parents navigate the the stereotype of being that strong man that boys never cry, giving them permission to cry, and yet at the same time, sort of understanding when we might have to say to our boys, "Okay, it's it's time now to maybe stop crying and let's build some resilience." There's a lot of stuff yeah, in there. Yeah, right. Yeah. So good luck. Good luck. Okay. Yes. Okay. So it's, you're asking a a lifespan question, like boys and crying, men and crying over a lifespan. And that's a really great thing to look at. So when they're, so, so I'll say something about the end and then come back to the beginning. Part of why people our age, we're in our mid sixties, starting at around 50, 55, part of why men find that they cry a little more, uh, you know, and I'm going to be giving people research from all cultures. Okay. So, because this is, this is really biological. Um, uh, And then I'll go back to the whole culture thing about boys don't cry, but what the lifespan of crying for males less, right? We create less tears in a lifespan. Uh, We cry less in a lifespan than females do. And, and part of it, part of it is because of testosterone, the way testosterone sets our brains up, the tear glands, all of that. And then the testosterone in our systems, and being so active in our systems. But then when we get older, right, our testosterone drops significantly. And um, uh, 50, 55, 60, it's dropping. And we're finding we produce more tears, um, or we just don't even, you know, worry about tears anymore. We just, tears are fine, right? Right. Um, So that's going to the end. So people should not be surprised if the male at 30 doesn't cry a lot, but then at, you know, like 65, he's crying more. Okay, so now let's go back to birth to say 55. Um, be, testosterone is has plays a big part in this and the way it sets us up. So um, males are going to tend to cry less because we are not going to tend to choose that processing strategy as much as females are going to because our biology is not set up as, as well for that or it's just not, our biology is not as interested in that, right? Our biology is more, I'm going to process my anxiety by, punching the table or by taking a run or by punching a punching bag or whatever it is. I've, I've got more cerebellum involvement, so I'm going to be more physical. Right. And so that's looking at over the lifespan, but for, we want to say for the first 10 years of life, you know, it's pretty equal. And especially from around birth to like eight or nine, it's pretty equal. 
males and female, boys and girls crying a lot. And that's the time when it's so, I, I just say to people, it's just nutty of you to say, well, boys don't cry, you know, because of course they do. It's totally normal for them to cry and crying at seven years old or nine years old or whatever it is, is just so normal and has really nothing to do with whether they're strong or not. So now when we get to into adolescence, every person, if they're studying kids, will see I'm going to pick an age 13. They're going to see that by 13, the average boy is crying less than the average girl. There will be a boy who does cry a lot and there will be a girl who doesn't cry at all. Okay. But on average, we're going to see this. So now we're developing. We're now we're now we're getting hit with the testosterone again, right? So that testosterone is going to stop a lot of the tears and our biology is accommodating the testosterone. So we're not going to tend to cry as much. So then we're 16. Now we're 17. And so now now when when someone says to a, a boy of 17, let's say a young man, says, you know, uh, what is the crying getting you? You got to get back to work. Mm-hmm. So now what I think they're doing is they're now it's not as deleterious as saying this to a six-year-old who who's going to be shamed for doing something that is absolutely normal for him. Now, I think what people are trying to do with the 17-year-old is to try to help him build resilience. That's what I think they're trying to do. And if they do that by saying, not boys don't cry, that's sort of a hackneyed phrase that isn't really useful. But if they say, is crying about this really getting you where you want to go? Where do you want to go with this? Mm-hmm. Okay, so then what they're really doing is they're trying to get them to problem solve. And by the way, you can say that to a girl too. I'm a right. dad of two daughters. By the time my daughters were that age, you know, I would, I, you know, they'd cry for like five minutes. And then at a certain point I'd go, okay, but do you want to keep crying about this or should we problem solve this? And so I think that's kind of what people are trying to do. And this goes to your point about building resilience. What they're trying to do is help the kid to come out of the crying toward resilience and toward self-empowerment, you know, uh, and toward problem solving. And if that's what they're trying to do, then again, I have no problem with it. There, it, When people think that everyone has to cry all the time to be healthy, that's just not true either. You know, right. so we have these, on the one hand, people will say, you got to cr- crying, crying shows me you're healthy. Well, no, that's not absolutely true. You could be ruminating and be quite unhealthy because you're crying a lot, you know, but then other people will say, you can never cry. If you cry, you're not healthy. And you're like, no, that's wrong. So the moderate position and the developmentally appropriate position is the right position for me on crying. Um, okay. Does that help? Did yeah. That answer yeah question? It's, yes. I think it's great because we, we do sort of have these extremes of uh, we need to get our boys to cry more, right? It's sort of the, the same thing. Boys need to use their words more. They need to cry more. Yeah, and that's the two not things. Necessi- yeah. yeah. And that's not necessarily developmentally healthy for boys. There may be some boys who need to cry more. But more than I, I think more than saying we need our boys to use their words more, we need boys to cry more. What we need to say is we need to help our boys process what they're going through and what's the best way for them to do that. That might yeah. be a healthy way to say it. Yeah. And it might include crying. It might include words. It might include taking a run. It might include. Yep going to the grocery store with me and doing something with me. And then they start talking about it because they're doing something, not being stared at by me, asking them what's wrong. You know, there's all these things that might mean. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, you're so right. I mean, we, we as a culture starting maybe 40 years ago, 30 to 40 years ago, 
I think people were trying to get a handle, especially feminists, especially people coming through the women's equality movement. They were trying to get a handle on men, right? And, yep. and their fa- mo- their focus, and I'm, of course, a feminist myself. I'm, a, I'm a, Again, I always say to people, I'm an equity feminist, not a gender feminist. Equity feminist is all about equality. Gender feminist is, is men are bad. We have to change them. So, uh, you know, I, as an equity feminist, have also tried to understand men and how do we, how do we get men and women to be complementary and mm-hmm. not opposed to each other and the vision 50 years ago was that men and women were opposed to each other right that that men were keeping women down and and, and in many way in many ways not necessarily men but certain systems were definitely keeping mm-hmm. women down and men created those systems so fair enough but then now over the last 30 40 20 years you know we have a lot of equality um uh but we still have these sort of regressive concepts that started developing about 50 years ago, which were we men, we can't have equality and we can't have good men, basically, is what people were saying, unless they cry and right. they talk to me about what they're feeling. And they need right. to talk to me about what they're feeling when I want to know what they're feeling. And they need to cry to show me that they're good men. So so that was is wrongheaded. Um, you know, I'll give an example myself. So yeah, I cried when I was a kid, every boy does, but then, you know, I'm moving through adolescence, um, not crying as much by the time I became an adult, I would bet that except for watching a movie like saving private Ryan, which always makes (laughs) me cry. I would bet in the last 35 years, I have cried, you know, 10 times, Mm -hmm. um, I could be wrong. might be 20, obviously my kids' weddings, you know, my, when my babies were born, you know, so there were times I've cried. Well, I'm a very good man. You know, I mean, I do not need to cry to be a good man. Um, and and we all know many men who don't use a lot of words and they're very good men. Right. So the concept that the, the connection of morality with crying and talking about your feelings is where the error is. There's nothing yeah. wrong with helping boys to talk about their feelings. Nothing wrong with helping boys, allowing boys to cry if they want. That's all good. But to connect it with morality and and here's a phrase that does this, that makes this connection. And I actually bought into this phrase 20, 25 years ago. I heard a colleague say this, and I really, I thought it was correct at that moment. And then I realized later, oops, uh, what my colleague said was, if boys don't cry tears, they'll cry bullets. Mm-hmm. Yes. So yes. what is he saying? He's a psychologist. And what he's saying is he believes that boys need to cry. And if they don't cry, they will become violent. Yes. Okay, now he said it in such a neat way yep. that it was like, I got it. I thought, oh my gosh, yes. And then it took me a few months, I think, to go back on it and go, oh no, wait a minute. Why are we moralizing this? So males, will, all males who don't cry will become violent? Okay, that's not true. Uh, so so what that's indicating is that we've moralized it. We've, we've made, whether boys cry or not or talk about feelings or not, um, we've given that moral implications and ultimately we condemn them as immoral or as imperfect or as defective or whatever it is if they don't cry and they don't talk about their feelings that i think is where the mistake is 200 podcasts and i learned something new today well we have never we have never talked about moralizing crying before okay and that is just that is so interesting to me and and so i think part of what we're trying to say here again is we want to look at how most boys are wired how most girls are wired and not necessarily impose things 
that may not be right for their brain development. So we, one thing we don't want to say is boys should never cry. Oh, gosh, nor should no. we say that the gold standard for emoting for boys is to cry. Boys emote in a lot of different ways, as do girls. And emoting is emoting, right? What we want to teach our boys to do is to process stuff. However, they are going to do that. And they just tend to do it more with acting out than they do with tears. Right, right. Uh, especially in adolescence. Like again, yeah. in the early years, right. people are going to observe that boys and girls both cry a lot. Yep. Um, but then they're going to start seeing movement. So for every single person, be a citizen scientist and just watch this. If you have multiple kids and you have boys and girls, or if you have access to a school or whatever, just kind of watch where you start seeing and talk to other parents. That's a great, great way to do it. Where, where it happens. Like, when is it? Ha- is it at 11? Is it at 12? Is it at 13? Somewhere in there, they start seeing, um, you know, and going back to this question about hormones, somewhere in there, they start seeing males starting to cry less. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for shorter periods of time. And and one of the things they're seeing now is, boy, that whole system is reorienting toward the massive shots of testosterone going through it. And those shots of testosterone are reorienting the brain and doing a lot of stuff to the brain. And for females, they're getting shots of estrogen and shots of oxytocin. Well, not surprisingly, those two hormones are going to create more crying. They are. Right. Uh, you know, not every time, but at a baseline, they're going to create more because that's part of their job. Whereas for males, testosterone, part of its job is to stop crying, you know, and uh, to move males more toward aggression, not violence, but toward aggression uh, and action. So that means they're not going to cry as much. Uh, so just see where it happens with the boys and girls in your life. And the great thing is that that uh, since we all agree that crying is fine. There's yes. nothing wrong with it that girls cry more than boys. Nothing wrong with that, you know, on average. It's all it's all good. Yeah. So very, very interesting and, and hopefully helpful for parents. Parents, I hope that you've heard some good insight into uh, your, your kids today. We sort of went off on to crying a little bit, but it's such an important topic right now in our culture. And um, I love this thing about moralizing crying, and that's not what we want to do. We want to sort of keep it in science keep it in brain development and, um, and to let our kids, you, you said this earlier on, all the kids are unique. So again, there are going to be some boys who cry more than others. There are going to be some girls who cry less than others. And let's let our kids be kids. But in that part of what we want to do is we also want to be building resilience in them. And, uh, you know, whether it's a girl or a boy crying at some point, we just want to, you know, developmentally appropriate, we want to pull them back and say, okay, that felt really it's good to cry. It was really healthy for you. So now what will we do next with this? And that's part of what we want to do in, in teaching them as they process emotions. Yeah. And that's for all emotive processing. Absolutely. Yep. You're right. You're right. Crying, anything, talking about it, um, taking a run to process, wherever it is, you always at a certain point are, are going to be involved with them in saying, how do you want to problem solve? What do you want to do next? And sometimes they figured it out already and they don't need us. Right. Right. They cried. And then as they were crying, they figured it out or, or whatever it was. Uh, but sometimes that's where they need us. They need us to help them with whatever their next steps are. And I think I think if errors are made, you know, people talk about, well, we live in a culture that represses crying in boys and that's what ruins mm-hmm. them. OK, I think that's an exaggeration. But if if errors are made from that sort of nurture culture standpoint, they are made by people. Very often men, not always, but very often men and often fathers or coaches by people who don't understand uh, 
what emotive processing is. They, mm-hmm. they don't understand emotive processing. So to them, they see an emotion come up via crying and they think that will debilitate, right? So they think that emotion, that crying will debilitate their soccer player. And so they yell at them, stop crying, you know, get back right. in there. And we have to educate them that that's not how the brain works. The brain can right. emotively process. Like you can see, you people have seen this, kids who are 13, 14, and they kind of get hurt. Uh, they got need or something while playing soccer. And the, there's a tear coming down their, their mm-hmm. cheek. Like they are crying. That really hurt. They are processing, but they are still playing soccer. So yeah. it's really, we've got to teach these people who overreact to tears. Um, and it is often men, but not always. We have to teach them that how emotive processing works and that they're, they're wrong about the fact that, that um, this quick burst of crying or whatever it is, is going to somehow debilitate their child. That is incorrect. The only way they would be right is if their child is, is depressed and their child is constantly crying and is unable to act. Okay. Well that of course will require professional help. But most of the time when people say, don't cry, that's bad. You know, it's just, they don't understand how emotions work. Right. Well, thanks to this uh, mom for writing in and letting us go off on a crying tangent here. And uh, to talk about what we think are going to be some important things. And uh, Michael, thank you as always. Oh, yeah. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll be back with you next time for the Wonder of Parenting podcast, a brain science approach to parenting. Have a great week. Save big money now on new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding. It's durable and includes a Sherwin-Williams factory finish paint warranty that means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP Smart Side today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money.